Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another Squiggly Film Club with me, Ben Mitchell, and Laura Beth Cowley. Hello. Hello. And Steve Anderson. Hello. Hello. And uh, well, the uh, yeah, the second round of Squiggly Film Club playoffs, and the uh, triumphant winner was When the Wind Blows. Well, there you go. Yeah, it was a it was a close run thing. Fifty-five uh, percent of the vote in the end after a fortnight of feverish voting from a squiggly audience. So thanks a lot, everyone, for for voting on our Twitter and Facebook and getting involved. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been entertaining watching all these films slowly die off. And now we get to watch uh, the characters of this film slowly die off. So yeah, should we watch this happy-go-lucky film then? <laughs> yes, let's dive into it, shall we? And a three, and a two, Two, and and a one, one. and a play. And uh, yes, it looks... uh, the wrong film. Ah, but is it though? Yes. It's um, a bit of a bait and switch. What is going on? Well, see, the topic of the film is... uh, Well, it's basically a film about the fears of a nuclear fallout and the... uh, horrible horrible ramifications so there's a bit of live action hybridization going on with this film it's it's kind of you don't care for it yeah well there's there's live action elements pretty much throughout the whole film is there uh well in the terms of the production design yeah have you not seen it yeah i thought i had yeah, it's one of those things that kind of it doesn't so much sneak up on you but you watch it for a second time and you're like Oh wow, yeah. There's there's a lot of stop motion in this. You know, I mean, you you don't necessarily notice it immediately, but the house itself is is a stop motion set, and that's done really nicely. Yeah, it's that kind of thing of. Um, I mean, certainly when he sort of first goes in, um, I think there's a kind of camera. It's been a little while since I've seen it, but I think there's a kind of sort of camera push, and like, oh, well, this is clearly animation on top of a set. Um, uh, not these exteriors, but um, once he's in the house. It's interesting, there's a bit of footage that's been doing the rounds lately of how Popeye used to do a similar thing. Um, they would use kind of, you know, they would build a sense, they would construct environments and, you know, track the camera along. Called photogram? Stereo something? Not stereoscopic, but um, something to sort of create the illusion of 3D. What are they doing? They're like pulsating. Look. It's this young love. They sit on the bus and pulsate. With love. Don't you remember we were courting and we would pulsate on the bus? (laughs) (laughs) Ew. If you've not pulsated on a bus, you haven't lived. That's why we're not allowed to travel on any first routes anymore. (laughs) This man is so diddy. So yeah, it's essentially um, about two diddy, lovable old folks. The original up. Um. Or down. <laughs> uh, and their uh, their naivete, I guess, in the in the face of some harsh harsh realities. I feel like this would be really funny to make some like a bunch of Americans who think they're about to watch up watch. <laughs> like this isn't up and they're just like oh god we thought up was special and now this did you see david it, blaine's it stupid live action adaptation of up yesterday ew what no what 
David Blaine up to his usual non-tricks. He just basically got a bunch of balloons and floated off into oh, the sky. I thought you meant he was like, never mind. Oh, this is the, the pup, I think. The Oh, hello. Bit of stop motion for yeah, you there. there the stereotypical, no, the stereoptical process ah. um, was used uh, as a model, used a model as a background to 2D animation. And if you have a look I've here. watched it, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Well, this footage is odd because... It mostly looks like he's in a really weird rave. Oh, with the lighting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like a, it's like a sort of dungeon-y environment. This is the footage of the people who are also kind of... Um, Freaking out about because of the frame interpolation. Oh, it's the pop! You're talking about the Popeye one. I'm watching this like old couple in their in their living room, and you're saying it's like they're at a rave. They're not. He's <laughs> it's, it's, it's got the paper, and he's got the radio on, and she's making him a cup of tea. That's the, the opposite of a rave. rave. <laughs> we're watching an alternate cut. <laughs> <laughs> Why is his wife dressed as a maid? It's a housewife. She's just got her. Uh, you know, a, a housewife clothes on, which is doing all the sort of washing and gardening and going in the fridge and whatever. I see. Yeah. So is the kitchen stop motion now? Yep. But yeah, look at the pots. Yeah, they don't look real. I mean, they're not... You know, it's not an actual kitchen, but they are... They don't look physical, though. Oh, really? No. They oh, they seem very physical to me. They look like, um, you know, how they used to do, like, backgrounds in the 80s with, like, brush pens, like blow pens? Airbrush. Mm. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it does kind of blend. You could look at stills at this, and it doesn't look especially jarring. Um, So, wait, are those sausages real? (laughs) What's real and what is... I suppose if you were watching um, a super high... No, that's 2D. Yeah, so the sausages to and me, chips. To me, the delineation of 2D and 3D is really clear. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's not 3D, is it? So the buttons well, on the radio were 2D, and the radio but the, itself was... But the food on the plate is 2D. Yeah, yes. the food is clearly 2D, yeah, that's but the plate I'm isn't. This is, but you can see that the plate is a, a physical object, right? No. Oh, then I, I don't know what to say. The thing is, we can't really pause it and no, dissect it. like a physical thing to me. Because you can see the outline around the plate. as Because obviously they, they took uh, still photographs of this and then uh, did animated cells over the top of it. So you can kind of tell a little bit. And occasionally they'll be doing things that they'll move something and you can tell there's stop motion going on. For the thing that's reacting to being, you know, opened or closed or picked up, or which was a a, a big uh, uh, a big headache for the director apparently when he was because uh, you look at stuff like when a cupboard's opened or a drawer's opened or a teapot is picked up uh, and they blend quite nicely. You can you can see the way that it's lit, the way that it's kind of put together. It, it it does blend well enough. I mean, we're, we're looking at it with eagle eyes and anyone else who's kind of watching it at the same time as us might be a little bit um, trying to keep their eye on it as well. Um, but it, it, it blends in nicely. It's, you know, 
it's done quite you can tell why it's been done it's done for you know for economic purposes really it's easier to take a quick photograph than it is to uh, to draw a background and you can have as many variations as you wish as well um, but it looks good as well I think I think it, it works quite well I'm not sure if it is easier because, I mean, yeah, you still got to like, build the set. Yeah, because, I mean, they wouldn't have to draw the background multiple times. They'd only have to draw it once. Yeah. I guess well, this basically frees up their um, blocking. They can do more adventurous camera angles yeah. of the same set if they want to. Why? Wouldn't it? If they drew, they would, they would draw the backgrounds first, wouldn't they? So what does it matter? Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter, I suppose, just an artistic choice. Also, if they've built the set, they're going to have had to have done multiple drawings and storyboards and everything. So there's probably about 50 drawings for every still photo. Yeah. Yeah. They've just done a drawing. They probably just drew a mock-up of the set and then built the set and then... Photographed it. Yeah. Would be my... uh, but how is that quicker than doing You know what would have helped if one of us had actually read up on this film beforehand and worked out wow. why they decided to do this? I've, I've, got, I've got it. I've got the, the book, that fantastic John Coates, the man who built the snowman book that I've used for the... Did I use it for Yellow Submarine and for Ethel and Ernest, maybe? I can't remember. Um, and the line in it is that um, the, the snowman uh, might looked a little bit flat, so they wanted something that didn't look flat. Uh, according to this, and uh, yeah, it would have been time-consuming and hugely expensive if it was done in uh, in two D. That's the excuse by uh, uh, Mary Beardmore uh, by uh, by her accounts, anyway. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, any animator looking at it might have a completely different point of view. This bit that we're watching at the moment um, is is gorgeous isn't it this the kind of swirling around on screen um just finished as i've as, I, as i've described it um so it's, it's it is quite adventurous in its kind of presentation the film mm. that's not going to do anything and we've just gone from a 2d back 2d background to a, a stop motion background again and i think the blend's quite nice yeah but are you talking there, Laura, about the um, the fact that the doors propped up against the wall are not going to do anything? Yeah, the whole fallout problem was a was very sad. <laughs> like, I'm glad it yeah. never really came off much, but like, I don't understand how people fought any of the advice they were given was going to help in any way. Well, in a lot of respects, I think that's what this film is kind of an exploration of. It's about mm. this sort of unfaltering and groundless faith in the powers that be having our best interests at heart and placating us, but, you know, in a way that we're, oh, they must be telling the truth. They wouldn't lie to us. They've got, you know, and, you know, they both kind of, it's about them both kind of misinterpreting to different degrees what the advice even is. But, you know, at the it's end of the day, like, it's still the the same end result. But I think it's it was. I don't think they ever really thought it was going to do any ha- good. I mean, obviously, these characters are fictional. I don't think anyone actually thought they were going to help. But I think it was a lie everyone told themselves and each other because they had to believe in something. Yeah, they're in denial. Yeah, it's a bit like COVID and well, like how everyone. Well, it, it's a carry on. 
Yeah, I think it's something of a, of a parody as well. I mean, in in this, the, there are certain uh, there are certain elements in the film where obviously paint what painting the windows white and and things like that. At the time, that was parodied in 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 sort of popular. Uh, uh, TV and radio at the time that, you know, what is painting your windows white going to do against a nuclear blast? What was what the is... logic behind that? Well, it's reflective, isn't it? It's like cricket is white. So it's going to stop. <laughs> it's going to stop. <laughs> it's going to stop. You know, it, it, oh, it's... Oh, so sad. It is, isn't it? But it's it kind of... I it's think like that's they're what this making film... the house look really nice for the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, Come on yeah. Then. It's the end times, but fuck me if our house ain't going to look nice. Yeah, you got to keep up with the Joneses, even. Till the end. <laughs> even in the Holocaust that will follow. Well, the um, the scene that we just had was him talking to his son over the phone about the preparations and stuff, and his kind of, like, shock and horror at how the son is taking the whole situation completely differently. Um, you sort of get the impression that the son either doesn't believe it's going to even happen and thinks it's all scaremongering, or if the son is just already kind of checked out. Um, is the son mm. meant to be Raymond Briggs and how he'd react to it? They do mention that um, he became a bit of a wrong and ever since he went to art college. <laughs> so I think there's a little um, slight uh, Ethel and Ernesty nod in that sense but uh, I, I don't think this one is really um, was this your generation this wasn't your generation it was the generation before you guys wasn't it that had like like as a, you wouldn't have been a child when this was happening well, 1986 sort of I was two so fear of nuclear fallout and you know the you know the big um, what do they call it mutually agreed upon destruction, destruction. Yeah, mutually assured destruction. Right. Um, that was a big thing in terms of, like, public information. There was a very famous live-action public information film about, like, um, that what-if, which... Uh, do you remember what that was called, Steve? Quite a the, famous the, film. The uh, Protect and Survive? Maybe. Was it was it the actual instructional film, or are you talking about the uh, the drama that was on? I think it was a drama. Threads. Threads, Okay. Yeah. Um, that's the one that has one of the most famous IMDb listings of just woman pissing self, <laughs> something to that effect. Oh, I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to look that Why up now. Why was she pissing uh, herself? Because the bomb Why? dropped. Yeah. <laughs> ah, right. Um, so yeah, Threads was the film about. Uh, it was in when a nuclear bomb goes off, and it's set in something like Sheffield. It was. Uh, I've got it here. 1984 TV movie. Um, yeah, it was it was harrowing, absolutely harrowing. Um, I remember my dad kind of telling me about it. So he obviously watched it as a well before he was burdened with uh, with children. Um, but he, he uh, I remember him really sort of almost disappearing into kind of you know as he's sort of looking into the distance, talking about this horrific, <laughs> this horrific you know. And then this happened, and then and they had kids, but the kids were affected by the nuclear radiation and it was awful <laughs> um so yeah. this so this thing came about after the whole thing had died down or was done during the well it was it was during the cold war wasn't it so everyone was terrified that seems i remember a bit being on scared. the fucking nose what's that that seems a bit cruel 
Like, you know how we're all really scared of this thing that might actually happen? Let's (laughs) make a mockudrama about it, shall we? Oh, yeah, I mean, that was entirely what they were going for. You're going to guarantee sort of mass engagement. Is there a razor blade on the screen? What was that? It was a flag. It was odd, though, because it wasn't moving and it was kind of. It was annoyingly overlapping. Yeah. uh, That seems. I mean, I guess it's a bit like with COVID when they started screening like pandemic on the TV. It was like, fuck off. Oh, yeah, it's not like. (laughs) Yeah, and like now the TV has been shying away from the concept of scaremongering. And, but now um, you have more choices to just ignore it. But then it was like, you only had four channels. <laughs> That's true. What were you no going to do? Watch snooker in black and white? Yeah. <laughs> or the news. I mean, or listen to it on the wireless. Just the live action version. Woman Jump. who urinates on herself. Played by Anne Sellers. Well uh, done, Anne Sellers. <laughs> Did you do anything compa- else? Um... I think she just urinated on herself. I think no, I mean, was- like, in life. Woo! <laughs> 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 uh, oh, she, did, she wasn't even credited. That was a credit IMDb made up for her. Um, she didn't even get a, a, a billing in the actual credits. It takes the piss, doesn't it? Uh, it looks like she only appeared in uh, Threads. <laughs> what a career. Yeah. Lots of people, you know, they just dip their toe in the waters of performance. There's a huge bio for her on IMDb. Anywho, this film... Um, what the hell is that thing? F- f- relatively on the heels, I suppose, of the other one, in the sense that it was... This is 96, right? Uh, this is 86, yeah. Yeah. It'll all be over before Christmas. Where? Oh, the n- ignorance of it all. Well, that's, well, that's a, their that's point a, of reference, isn't it? Yeah. This is a sort of recurring thing throughout where basically, oh, the last time this happened, and they keep like forgetting, oh, it's not Hitler this time, is it? It's like, no, love. <laughs> He's been out of the picture for 50 years. This is also very similar to COVID, like how everyone like kept trying to fool themselves that it would be over by the summer. And then by September, like by the time kids go back to school, there'll definitely be a vaccine. And the next one will definitely be, oh, it'll be over by Christmas. And it's like, hmm. Well, that's just, you need that optimism to keep you going. Um, and I think that we've all, probably everyone listening as well, we've all kind of had conversations with people of a certain age, or perhaps people our age, that, you know, they you can tell that they are clinging on to what's around the corner will be, you know, brighter days kind of thing. Um and so, you know, you, you don't want to be a dick about it. Um, and they're not really doing anyone any harm. The things that if, you, if you're going to... Why worry about something you can't change, I guess, is the yeah. fundamental I mean, one, that being the point of this as well, is like, this is all ridiculous and it's, you know, not... Oh, it's not even attached to the wall. Um, like, this isn't going to help at all. But, I mean, what else are they going to do with their time? Just worry. It- yeah. And at this point, are you are you sort of getting the sense of it being a sort yeah, of stop yeah. motion? Come okay. Um, once they start like moving, like sort of, I think that makes it a lot clearer. Um, it's one of those weird things, like the idea of being dealt with or like faced with your mortality in such a direct way, and like it's not just you; it's everything and everyone you know. And you've got, what was it, like, three days they had? 
Um, I mean, it's a relatively uh, short time to prepare. Um, yeah, it was it was three days on on this uh, particularly uh, uh, this particular sort of incident. Narratively, obviously, um, I had the I had the the rather bizarre kind of rather depressing, not bizarre, really depressing kind of you know when I was doing research for this to actually find the pamphlet that he's reading, the uh, protect and survive pamphlet, and have a read through it. I mean. Obviously, it's hugely beneficial for me now that I now know what to do in the event of a nuclear war. And it's not that they're doing stupid things in terms of piling wood up against the wall. They are doing exactly as it tells you to do in the pamphlet. And it is, it's absurd. It's a kind of, it's, it's busy work. That's all it is. It's kind yeah. of, yeah. you know, the government sanctioned busy work because we're all going to be vaporized or, or, it's just or to try and stop you know, people from going crazy and looting and, so they're being yeah. on a plane. Now the plane's going to crash. So you know, put your your head down. <laughs> That'll sort you right out, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it will be. Don't they do that so that you're you're protecting your dental records? <laughs> they don't. Say, they don't mention that on the little laminated card. <laughs> like, put, keep, assume the brace position. If so when they the, find your charger, remains. If you're in the fetal position, it'll be easier to identify <laughs> you from the rebel <laughs> and the uh, the other smoking bodies. Yeah. No, I think generally speaking, people. Are like, oh no! If I if I assume the right position, then I I won't get whiplash. Because I can't think what <laughs> Which would be the main concern of a plane crash. I guess so. You don't get decapitated by debris as well, maybe. Yeah, that would also that would be a, a concern. Because that would gonna... really suck if you managed to stick a landing in a plane, but then everyone lost their heads because something Just went through, like some shrapnel <laughs> went through. Like, oh, fucking hell, I landed perfectly, but now everyone's headless. The other decapitated by their trays. <laughs> I told you to put them in the upright position. <laughs> no one listens to me, do they? I like how they're spending their last remaining hours of health in their weird wigwam. <laughs> well, they're getting used to it. They're pre- but why get used to it? You're going to be there forever. <laughs> like... Well, Enjoy the, the other, outside. That's the other beautiful thing. Go run outside naked for a is while. Is just how long they stay in the fallout uh, shelter. Um, it's, 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 yeah. They would have been better off, I mean, it wouldn't have made any difference either, but wouldn't they have been better off putting the doors, like, against the windows? Um, marginally, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, like, he took the door out off the outside to put up against the wall wouldn't it have been better to leave it on the outside uh, in the in the event of a nuclear blast because what is the danger of a nuclear blast if you're not in the zone of like impact so you're not your house you aren't going to be blown up nor is your house but you're going to be in all the fallout fallout is, it, is the danger is it just that where whatever yeah. it touches then becomes poisonous and the air is then dangerous as well uh-huh, and water and clothing or anything it touches really so yeah so they would have been better off completely sealing the house i mean not if you like oxygen but yeah, and getting yeah a filter. effectively well would you be able to survive would that be a fee the the overall kind of takeaway is that no no is, like whichever get, way it, it goes you're kind of done for well it, it, mm. does it go through walls 
and roof. Well, it's dust. It can get in anywhere, really. It's but if know... they made if they'd spent their time making like you know a Cloverfield Lane styled bunker, would that have been better? Yeah, I suppose. Because people could have done. He, they have be a different loads film, of land, though, wouldn't it? But they've got so much land. You could get a bunker together in three days. Would the cement dry? Three what? days? Well, they they had three days knowing it Grab would Grab a shovel, Laura. <laughs> they had three days knowing it was definitely going to happen. You know, they they didn't know for definite, but they were told three days. But they knew that this was a potential for months and months and months. Yeah, the pamphlet didn't say anything about building an underground they? bunker. But really. shouldn't it have? Like, if you have the space, if, can you make a bunker? Well, the... Make the, a bunker. What this kind of brings, I guess, to like... Well, if, if you lived in the city, you could have stayed in the underground if the government actually if the plan was to keep as many people alive as possible um this then, character design is really creepy uh, then um they would have you know as much practical advice that they could you know put together as far as what could feasibly be constructed by civilians or by a community or whatnot, but as Steve said, it wasn't about that really. It was about sort of just keeping, you know, so was it that subduing gov- panic and keeping your minds occupied. So was it that the government didn't actually think it was ever going to happen, or did they think it was just not like they just actually didn't want people to survive? Well, it's it, it's a it was always a threat. You know, the Cold War was a was a real kind of everyone was on a knife edge and stuff. And this pamphlet was just a kind of. It was it was always redone. So it was done in the in the in the Second World War. Everyone got a pamphlet through about bombs, about what to do in the in in the event of bombing, and that's where people built air raid shelters and all that sort of stuff in the back gardens. And then they updated that for nuclear bombs. So it became a kind of pamphlet for that. And then they re-released it in the 1960s for the Cuban Missile Crisis, and they re-released it again in the 1980s when. You know, Russia and the US were really at each other's throats. So, yeah, it's, it all kind of, it all accumulated really. And I, I do, I distinctly remember that kind of threat of nuclear, uh, nuclear war, the fact that it could come out of nowhere and the fact that, um, you know, the fact that it would, it would have such devastating impact. And I, I do remember, I do remember being, being scared of nuclear of, of nuclear b- bombs and it, it wasn't you know it was films maybe like this but also Terminator 2 <laughs> maybe scared of yeah, nuclear Terminator bombs Terminator 2 was our generation it uh, was as, yeah. yeah that and maybe the last episode of Dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's coming on Disney Plus soon I think so there's a lesson for everyone about climate change get that yeah <laughs> I don't think my generation had a thing like that I think we just had general terrorism General yeah. terrorism. It has all just become one. Just, just be thing. scared of everyone because they might kill you. You're scared of Y2K and Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Did uh, we have that, anything else? I don't think so. This, I guess. <laughs> this yeah, we were, scared, we were scared of nuclear bombs and choking on pogs. That's what we were scared <laughs> of. And the pen lids and bottle caps. <laughs> Conkers were a big concern in my they- school. What was the thing An that errant they... conker flying through the air. What was the thing that they, in the 90s, had to change so that they put a hole in it so that people... Oh, it was, you know, um, like, bottles that you p- 
pull like sports bottles that you get like fruit shoots the lids for those didn't used to have holes in and then now now they do because someone choked on one wow yeah well you know safety first i know in some part of the world some parts of the world uh, kinder eggs are contraband america yeah because only god can make eggs <laughs> yes <laughs> only god can lay eggs Chocolate every other every other type of egg is a, a craven egg. <laughs> You're worshiping <laughs> a false prophet. Kinder eggs are the work of either Satan or Hitler. Take your pick. Either way, they're not allowed. No here. God spaketh and said, "Ye shall not open thine uh, false egg and find within it a little ninja turtle that can be assembled." This is the work of the Antichrist. <laughs> um, isn't wasn't it? Is it for the same reason that they used to come in two halves and you could swallow one? But now they don't do that. Now they come as one thing. And I think that's that was kind of why in some places in Europe they're in two halves, and it's not even a Kinder Egg. Oh. It's like there's a bit of like I, you know what? This is too lofty a discussion. I think <laughs> we would scratch the surface of it maybe in ninety minutes, but I don't think we'd really get to the bottom of it. <laughs> You'd have to have an esophagus like a hippopotamus's if, if you're going to swallow a whole kinder egg, though. Even the little yellow cap things. I, don't, I think they're pretty huge, weren't they? It's, it's, a, it's a solid capsule. Yeah. yeah. You'd, you'd, I mean, you know, you can see... I think it's more the little bits inside, maybe. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Oh, I see. Well, if you're going to eat the, the innards of a kinder egg... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a Darwin factor yeah. to that, but you know, same with the fruit shoot. You know where uh, my brother keeps trying to steal my Kinder Egg toy. You know where I'll be safe in my stomach. <laughs> you know what? Let him have the ninety nine p piece of crap. Yeah, so it's all kicking off now. This guy's braces make me think of PG Tips. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, the branding. Uh, <laughs> The uh, the radio's telling her to take shelter, and um, she's not happy, is she? That uh, that he's swearing at her. Oh yeah, he's like getting a foolproof fallout shelter, you crazy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they painted those windows earlier. Why aren't they painted no, the now? Living room windows. No, they were those all ones, the... weren't they? No, it was the other. It was the. Why haven't they painted all of them? Yeah, they painted enough. That not enough paint. That makes no sense. I mean, that's the recurring... I mean, none of it makes sense, but, like, why only the front windows? <laughs> like, did they know which direction the bomb was going to hit? I mean, again, it's the parallels between this situation and our current situation, in terms of rationalising, most of all, like, it seems really um, on point. The conversations you have with people about, like, how, they're, oh, I'm, I'm being safe because I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and then you see them doing you know a b and c like a public table basically yeah you know i think they'll 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 be really safe until they've had a a couple of pints and then they start like you know hugging or um roughhousing tomfoolery (laughs) i feel like i've lived my entire life preparing for COVID because my brain is hot wired to know when when people have touched things that they shouldn't (laughs) <laughs> I think definitely people who kind of yeah feel that way and think that way about like you know the world around them 
they're like, ah, see? OCD people are like, fucking yes. Yeah. I've been training for this for life. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Hand gel? I have all of it. <laughs> I've been stockpiling it for years. I have a membership. <laughs> Hand gel of the month club. <laughs> this year, this week is pomegranate. Ooh. This has gone a bit BFG. It's mixed with like ET. Hey. There's a great line later on in this. Something along. It's been a while, but I think it's something along. You get lovely light from these bombs. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's like weather. Not so sad and lovely at the same time. Why is she on the pitch? <laughs> Why is she in the kitchen? Get her out of here! Oh. This is the up montage. Yeah. Da -da. Wait, they got married again? Uh, no, I think it's, it's just a flashback. But they just. They started with the marriage. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. It'd start with the uh, the image of the marriage, but it was leading up to that, wasn't it? That was weird. Uh, well, maybe uh, maybe they did get married. Maybe they they um, Had a separated. Trial separation. And then renewed their vows because they both had uh, scandalous affairs. So it's happened. The bomb has gone off, and. Uh, all he's got to say is blimey. Yeah, I think you can land the F word for nuclear fallout. Well, yeah. I think he waits until the last reel before he, he brings out the uh, the big hitters. That must be the really weird thing if you're in the um, fallout zone far enough away that you don't have immediate effects. Mm. There, there it is, Ben. You get terrific light with these bombs. So yeah, the um, I don't. What I had had forgotten was just how shit <laughs> the shelter was. I think. Yeah. I remember these scenes the way they are, but the actual like formation of it, I um, didn't remember being quite so. I tell you what, as blatantly as we, useless. As soon as we have a garden, I'm digging it up and making a bunker. Are you going to go full <laughs> John That's Goodman? That's going to be my new like bedtime boring thing to think about in order to get to sleep. How will I make my bunker? Ah, uh, the put what? Uh, yeah, oh, we could have like um, a little library area. Don't forget the giant vat of acid. Oh yeah, for when um, the handy. When you do me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I try and make a, a makeshift hazmat suit, <laughs> and you find that I've stolen the materials. <laughs> it's the only way I'll learn. Is this to survive, or are you going to make meth or something? What's the all this vat of chemicals down there? Well, I could make it and call it a stop motion studio, and then when the <laughs> nuclear fallout occurs, I'll be ready. See, I don't really see the point of having like the problem with having like. Wouldn't it have been great if everyone had panicked and made like basement shelters? Just think how much extra storage we everyone in the fucking country would have now. It is like, a big thing in America, isn't it? There's lots of because doomsday they have so preppers. much land. But if you even yeah. if you had a small garden, because you could dig it all up and have a shelter underneath, and then put it all back, and then put grass on top, and you just need a door. 
So you just have everyone would just have a garden that looked perfectly normal. Just in the you know top left hand corner, there would just be a door, and then you go down, and then you have like shelter for your fucking Christmas decorations and everything else. It, it's a bit bleak. Do you not think it's? Uh, it's, it's only like it's like a basement, but just not under the house. Yeah, because yeah, because the, the other thing is oh, in America they all have basements and stuff, and we only have attics, and our attics are normally small. And also, hmm. most people convert them into another bedroom because we've only got bloody one. Where she's putting her foot down, she's not going to shit in the box. Yeah, what do you think this is? The threads? So, um... I suppose it's interestingly enough, but the the actual uh, the book "When the Wind Blows," written by uh, Raymond Briggs, was actually a sequel uh, to to Gentleman Jim. So the Jim that we see in this in this particular film is uh, is a, a toilet cleaner who who dreams of being like a cowboy in a all kinds of all kinds of bits and pieces. But yeah, um, it is like Ethel and Ernest. It is based on um, his parents, but a little bit more, uh, a little bit more fantasy, obviously, with the uh, the nuclear bomb going off. But yeah, it seems odd that a children's book like Gentleman Jim, which is very much a children's book, has this horrific sequel <laughs> where a nuclear bomb goes off. It's like you know, Spot goes to the beach, having like a you know a, a crime a crime thriller <laughs> sequel, or you know. This this would be the most annoying situation to be in in a nuclear fallout with someone that keeps thinking it's just like the war. But yeah, like, it's the only like, frame of reference they've got though. Why can't we just clean the things because it's not the same thing? Yeah, yeah. A it's not Hitler and B it's not it's not the same kind of bomb love. Like I know you don't understand, but get on the same page. Hmm. Like, if I'm not just doing this for my own sake. And again, I mean, isn't that, like, really reminiscent of the sort of bullheadedness of people of a certain age? Yeah, but that's really irritating, because with the whole... With the with COVID and stuff, that gets really annoying, because it's like, it's not the first pandemic we've had. <laughs> like, you were alive during the last pandemic, probably. Well, I think it's it's mainly the sort of... it's the It's that kind of bit of a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing mm, and, and things are kind of half truths and half memorized and you get a lot of malapropisms and things that you know they they think they know about something because they know what a word that sounds similar means mm. um and it's it's you know it's concerning you know especially people who you know were once you know quite um what's the word um Vital, I guess, mm. like sort of you know sharp tuned academic minds, and then at a certain age they're getting scammed by you know uh, you know things that come in the post, asking them to buy supplements and stuff, and they'll get lots of money later. And so, oh boy! But then you hear them kind of talking about the news and their interpretation of it. This kind, of, and they've kind of played their own game of. Um, you know, it's already been contorted and mixed with, you know, memories and uh, things that people down the pub have said, and it's this kind of mishmash of 
So yeah, I think when something quite dangerous where you really have to be on your guard and on the ball um, comes along, you know, people can get sloppy. You know, they can get caught out. One of the things I find the most baffling is when people of, like, an older generation who don't really understand how things like social media and Facebook and stuff work then start using it as their outlet for news. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I saw this thing on Facebook. It's like, yeah, don't take... Or, yeah, don't take that as the word of the... You know, like, you know that's not... You know you can post anything on Facebook. Which means also anyone can post anything on Facebook. It doesn't mean it's real. Yeah, that's that thing of like the presentation of something in a news format that is then just kind of taken as a legitimate you know news outlet. The thing is, actual legitimate news outlets are lying pieces of shit anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, he's still there. Yeah. All right. I, I just, ben just went so and then just gave up. Yeah, some kind of um, operations failure, I guess. Mm. Anywho, um, I think we're uh, we're okay to carry on. But yeah, um, speaking of Facebook, <laughs> should we should we read what people have been sending us on Facebook? <laughs> sure. Perfect segue. Uh, uh, you know, because Facebook can, can be a, 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 a joyful place, a place where, you know, you don't have to kind of respond to, uh, to, to, to what that kind of relative who you've not seen in years and years and years has said about a particular political, uh, outlet, but never mind. Um, we, we obviously announced that this was the winning film on, on Facebook. And as we usually do, we ask people for their, you know, thoughts, memories of the film, things like that. Uh, we struck gold, obviously, in the Festivus page. Obviously, Festivus is a, a kind of a London-centric uh, 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 networking uh, event, and it's got a fantastic Facebook page as well. He thinks so. Just, just waiting. He's this guy's like London. I'm off. I'm heading there. I'm heading to Festivus on my on my hairdryer. Um, but yeah, so obviously we we, we popped it up there and uh, asked people what they thought about. Um, thought about the film and obviously because it's London based lots of people already work there so we had people like um, Richard Nye said he was his uh, first freelance job at TVC it was a great studio run by a great man John Coates um, Steve Cav who uh, who's uh, one of our writers who wrote write the uh, 100 greatest uh, animated shorts which you can find on the website and which you need to finish off if you're listening to this Steve get in touch <laughs> um uh, also worked on the on the film, but Mal Hartley said yes. It was his first job uh, after working at Bob Godfrey's in a brief spell freelancing. It was a long job dealing with two characters gradually deteriorating, uh, made at a time when the bomb and the political situation made it all seem very possible. So you certainly took it seriously, and the film still stands up to this day. Uh, shown it, he's shown it to many of his students, and it's always very well received. A part of social history. Uh, of the time in many ways. Its unique style and technique makes uh, makes it of interest today too. John Coates and Jimmy Murakami were great people to work with, uh, as was Richard and everyone else who commented on the thread as well. So that's from Mal Hartley. So yeah, lots of love for uh, for TVC and, and making the film as well. Uh, we also got Joanna Quinn getting in touch on Instagram saying, uh, it's pretty powerful. I remember being quite shocked by it the first time I saw it. 
Um, yeah, so people, uh, we had our Susan, Susan Husband said, uh, I had the book of this when I was 10 and I was obsessed uh, with both it and preparing for a potential war. Thanks for the memory. So I think we've sent somebody back into a, a mindset that the world's going to be obliterated. And at the well, end of the day, that's, that's, what memories. <laughs> that's what Squiggly's all about, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple of nice comments there. I thought I'd uh, I'd read to sort of uh, get us away from watching an elderly couple basically rot from the inside out. When you were a kid, were you ever worried about this kind of thing? And did you ever do anything to like prepare for it? Uh, I was scared, but there's obviously there's nothing that you can do when you're like you know five years old. What are you going to do against a nuclear bomb? You know, I'd, I'd have great sympathy for the for the woman in threads. So that's exactly what I, how I prefer. You know, there's uh, there's not much can be done really. So then that was the scary thing. I think that um, that you had no say in the decision. That you had no say in 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 what was going to happen and, and what could have happened. Um, yeah, and I think that was that was kind of terrifying. I think I was more afraid that there might be a war and I'd be drafted. Just because yeah. I'm not a fan of cardio. No, <laughs> sort of from like um, more the sort of secondary school age, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> I was a good marksman though. When when you got your uh, national insurance number, it sounds really old fashioned, um, and it's got like a letter at the end of it. Did you hear the rumor that that was the the they'd get all the A's first, then they'd get the B's, then they'd get the C's, <laughs> and they'd go get would go that for way. What? For, for you know, if everyone was conscribed in a war and, and called up to to go and fight overseas or whatever, I mean, the, the, wouldn't that have happened because that would be the age you were? No, no, no. Same people in the same year had different. Oh, did letters. they? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So yeah. Uh, when I was eight, though, no, I didn't concern myself with war or um, nuclear winter. I think I was. Uh, yeah, I was more afraid of, like, dumb shit. <laughs> Not real shit. Made-up stuff in movies. and um. I went through a phase of being worried that the house would burn down. So I used to, like, make things in the night to be able to carry stuff out of the house. I remember having a bit of a thing with that, and it would be, like, when... My parents would kind of explain the precautions and things or things that we would need to do if something like that happened, and it would make me very anxious um, because it was one of those... But that's, I think, a rational yeah. fear. I think the thing I learned from that those kind of things and probably from these kind of things as a kid was that actually if I felt like I was prepared for it in some way, that kind of took the anxiety away. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's kind of the principle of uh, you know the setup of this film as well. Like you know, keeping yourself occupied, making plans, doing what you're told, doing following the guidelines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, I'm doing all I can do. You know, I'm preparing. Mm. Um, you know, nothing is so bad as long as you can keep the fear from your mind. It's a weird thing to be fearful of in in some sense. Like obviously it's horrific, but I think with nuclear thing, the the more of the fear came from not so much that it would lead to death, but just the fact that you knew it was going to be horrible. Hmm. 
Like, it would be as bad if you had died instantly as if you were going to die later. <laughs> it actually, I do remember one thing my dad told me once. <laughs> it's like, son, if we didn't know that the bomb was going to be dropped, I'd put the whole family in a car and I'd drive right to the epicenter of it. And I <laughs> just left the room with a spring in his staff. And I'm like, fuck it up. <laughs> and every time he picked up his car keys from then on, you <laughs> shot yourself. <laughs> Is it time? Is the pen by? He did expand on it later on, but. Uh, he <laughs> well, the other thing I remember was him saying, Do you really think that you would want to go out and hunt for fucking dead pigeons and things like that? You don't even like camping. <laughs> oh, sage advice. Amazing. Well, it's not a bad strategy as well. I mean, uh, part no, of the I'm totally is, on board with that. Yeah, I, well, I, I watched a, 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 an interview with Raymond Briggs uh, as part of the, the DVD extras for this, and you know, he's a he's a member of Greenpeace and CND and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he's, you know, he said, yeah, if if the nuclear bomb was going off in this cheery documentary, this cheery making of the, the when the wind blows, uh, the director turned around to everyone on the production and clearly caught them all off guard and said, "What would you do if the nuclear bomb went off?" And they're all like, "Oh God!" Uh, I'm like, I'm How were they not about thinking it. about that every single day? <laughs> exactly. On the yeah, time. I'd have been like, I'd have been so prepared for that question. But the thing is, it, it's, it wasn't a fiction, was it? In their mind, it would, it was a, maybe it was a horror that they kept locked away. But yeah, Raymond Briggs kind of said, I'd just get in a car and drive to London. He'd, he'd be there with your dad in traffic. You know, he'd, he'd be, and you screaming in the back of the car, Ben. But yeah, um, it's, it, it's, it's not a bad strategy. Like, if I don't have time to build my bunker, then yeah, epicenter. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have um, Aaron joining us on these podcasts. He'd fucking love this. Given his holiday <laughs> destination choices. He loves natural disasters and, all, and horrible sights of horrendous Yeah, that's true. We could have got... Yeah, where are you going on your holidays this year, Aaron? Chernobyl. That was the weirdest conversation I've ever had with him. <laughs> or pretty much anyone. Like... Because I'm quite, I like quite grim things and like to seek out horror things when we go on holiday. But I can't imagine anything worse than going to Chernobyl. Well, I just, it just doesn't seem like there'd be many attractions. It simultaneously feels like it'd be very unfun, very miserable, and it feels a bit like wrong to me. Like I find it a bit. It's like going to Bridlington. It feels a bit voyeuristic. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, you're not here for the fucking crack, are you? Like, there would have been no other reason to ever visit Chernobyl if there hadn't have been this horrible thing happen. And they're still dealing with it now. And I've just heard so many... For some reason, in the South, like, I knew quite a lot of... Or I knew a few people that had to, like... Or were involved with Chernobyl in some way, or like ha- volunteered to go out there and working like orphanages and stuff, mm. and which is a tremendously great thing to do. But it just always sounds so incredibly bleak. Like how bleak, however bleak you think it is, it was bleaker. Yeah, I remember I had a friend who um, 
volunteered at one and said that um, they were in an orphanage and there was a chef, but the chef had no sense of smell or taste. And so she used to prepare the food for the kids and it was awful. But one day she'd made jelly for them all, but using like proper gelatin. But she hadn't put any flavouring or colour in it. So these kids were just eating beef jelly that just tasted like rendering. And it was just like, oh, like they haven't suffered enough. <laughs> like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And I think, I can't remember if I told you this, but I've definitely told Ben this, that when um, when Aaron brought up the fact that he was going to show Noble, I had like a weird childhood flashback of the fact that my school used to bring over kids from Chernobyl oh wow every year so that they could be in our country because apparently there was something like ridiculous like if they spent for every week or every day they spent here their life expectancy went up by a couple of months right um and one of the kids was being housed in a house up the road from me and one of my like one of my few like school memories is watching this tiny little Chernobyl girl who is very thin singing my Bonnie lives over the ocean. She spoke, she spoke no other English and just watching this poor little girl sing this song to a full assembly of, of kids being like, what are we doing? Like, what is this? And it was a very odd, it's a very odd memory that sort of haunts me. Yeah, because that kid that's, that's will, haunting me. That kid will be like 25 now. Mm. Maybe. But yeah, wow. it's weird. Like, I don't feel like anyone else... Like, because it was just a normal thing in our school and it happened every year. It never occurred to me that that wasn't a thing that every school did. Not every school brought over a bunch of Chernobyl kids. Hmm. Wow. I'm having a look at the Chernobyl tourism website. <laughs> how radian, how radiation safe are short-term trips to the Chernobyl zone? Not very. Um, uh, if everything is so fine in the zone, why are the official radiation safety regulations so strict? In our view, some of the requirements are already redundant. They were either important earlier when the radiation levels in the zone were much higher, or they remain valid for the places which are inaccessible for ordinary visitors of the zone. Like how they call it the zone. Yeah, you don't want to call it the zone, do you? Nothing, no place is good when it starts with the... Uh, the levels able to cause acute radiation sickness, or ARS, remain only inside the Chernobyl sarcophagus. The enormous object shelter construction that keeps the reactor remnants behind extremely thick, reinforced concrete walls. So if Aaron didn't visit the sarcophagus, I'm sure he'll be all right. Mm. I mean, it's been a few years. And if he was going to, you know, turn into a three-eyed fish, we'd have noticed by now. Grim. It, it's, I suppose the fascination in it is seeing a town where just everyone's deserted. There's... There was, there was a documentary I remember watching when I was a student called After People. And it was online. I think it was on one of the earliest things that they popped on YouTube or something like that. And it was it was great. It was like, you know, what would happen if everyone just vanished? You know, when would, uh, you know, what, what like, every human being on the planet just disappears. If you want to see a completely abandoned town, just go to any seaside resort in the winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
It's one of the bleakest places. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not quite the same having um, candy floss in Blackpool when it's freezing to your bottom lip and the hail's bashing against your face. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, it's a it's a weird destination for a holiday. But you know, that's uh, that's that's our area. I mean, I'm it? sure yeah. it's very interesting. It just it it's not. Anything to do with Chernobyl, I can't really handle. Like, I've never watched that show either that everyone was like, it's amazing. Like, it looked fucking grim. Mm. And I watch, like, I watch horror films, like, all the time. But the reality of it being a real thing, no. Yeah. What are you laughing so about? The, the fact that they're drinking acid the, rain? They're collecting acid rain as well, yeah. finally. <laughs> So this is this is where it starts getting a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. You just want to sort of. I feel like wouldn't it grab burn? them and say stop it? <laughs> it's um. It's it, weird that's not burning instantly. It is a bit of a. a oh, stop touching it. It brings up quite a lot of stuff because there is a lot of kind of comedic stuff in the film in terms oh, of the dialogue. We don't want to take an unnecessary risk. Boil it. Like, that's going to fucking help. Um. And then as it goes on and on, like, the kind of, like, comedy element of it, because they remain, to the end, quite naive and sort of, like, doe-eyed through the whole thing. Where did um, they get bread from? Um, they've been... Did, it, did they bake it? Like, no, how long have they stored? Through? Yeah. How long have they been in... Their little shelter thing for. How long has it been since the bomb? Mm. Not sure at this point. I think they said it was a couple of days because they said uh, forty-eight hours. They're allowed to leave the uh, the sort of main zone and then go out into what they call the fallout zone. That's the, this shot here. That's a shot that's emulated a lot in Raymond Briggs' work. The uh, you know the father on the left hand side, the mother on the right hand side, and you see it in Ethel and Ernest as well. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Like it's this earlier. There was a shot of her remembering her childhood and like the Anderson shelter in our garden and how they grew potatoes on it and stuff and it's yeah. the exact same garden from Ethel and Ernest yeah, and, and I find it really weird because it's yeah. exactly like my dad's childhood home garden right. growing up like it's a very Yorkshire terraced house layout yes Yeah, this kind of uh, jolly view of the past, this kind of um, nostalgia, I suppose it is, you know, the the, the kind of, um, the sort of evils of nostalgia, what it can do. But yeah. I mean, for, for, for some people, obviously, it was a bit more um, personal and harrowing, this film, in particular the director, uh, Jimmy Murakami, who was... Um, he was born in California, but uh, and, you know worked worked to, in animation at Burbank and, and Tokyo before coming over uh, to TVC in the nineteen sixties. But he's he's probably more of a um, more of an Irish animation kind of hero because um, he he worked with um, uh, what's the chap called well, surname Wolf, but um, basically the companies that he founded did like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all that type of stuff. So this kind of big Irish animation boom, um, a lot of it is thanks to um, you know uh, Jimmy Murakami and people like him. Obviously Don Bluth, people like that as well. 
But yeah, he was attracted to this film. He says in uh, in in, uh, in the documentary because uh, there was like a real personal nature about it. It was obviously he's uh, from a Japanese family, um, but he was at the age and in America where they were putting Japanese families in internment camps, which is something that's not often kind of. Uh, it's something. It's a part of history that's not often mentioned. That if you were if you were Japanese, it doesn't matter what kind of generation you were, or you know you you, you hadn't been to Jap- Japan in in years or whatever. But once Pearl Harbor happened, uh, Japanese families found themselves in camps, which is uh, where uh, where Jimmy found himself. Um, but yeah, he remembers them ringing the bell. He says when uh, when the bomb went off. Uh, and he always wanted to direct a film about Hiroshima because he lost family in Hiroshima. Um, but this film really kind of attracted to him because of the kind of comedy elements and the kind of bleak, the dark comedy to it, I think. Um, yeah. There's a quite good uh, film about Hiroshima three or four years ago, I think it was called This Corner of the World. Um I forget who it was by, but it was at Zagreb uh, when I was over there, and it was good. It was a really good film. It got very dark toward the end. It sort of, um, it's kind. Of, it takes place over quite a few years, and the um, uh, the blast is a kind of big, you know, punctuation point in the film, and the kind of aftermath of it gets sort of progressively bleaker as it goes. Um, and I remember being chastised for not, um, it didn't get the grand prize. And a week later, uh, I bumped into uh, at Annecy, and she was <laughs> really, really annoyed we hadn't given it the main prize. She's like, what the fuck? <laughs> that was such a great fucking film. Why didn't, you, like, <laughs> didn't it just tear your fucking heart? I was like, okay, you got um, you feel passionately about it. <laughs> it was indeed a very good film but um, I don't know if it's uh, been released in the UK probably would have by now you can't win with those things it, it was not like it was not an easy year um, yeah. and it was one of the things where like it was kind of a lock um, but you know sometimes when the, the winner is so obvious you almost kind of want to give it to someone else because of that if that makes sense hmm. um, but that's not really <laughs> that's not really right no in the um, spirit of things um, Katabuchi was directed by Sunio Katabuchi and uh, yeah this co- in this corner of the world another uh, uh, film about horrible radiation sickness it's about other things but, uh, yeah if you, if after watching this film, you've been bitten by the bug, and what to uh, watch some more, then go right ahead. I uh, a couple of years ago, I did a a, a lecture series at home in Manchester, which was a, a history of British animation, and I included this film um, as part of the kind of. I, I did like two weeks of lecture, and then a, a film. Two weeks of lecture, then a film, then another two weeks of lecture. Um, or something like that, I can't remember. <laughs> but um, I included this film and didn't really give it much of a a kind of telling people what to expect beforehand. 
and said, what did you all think of the film? And they all just, I mean, this is an audience of people that are not necessarily animation fans, they're film fans, and they're not really thought about animated features as an offering beyond Disney. And they, the kind of the discussion afterwards was exactly as you'd imagine or expect, you know, just the going, we weren't expecting that. That was, you know, that was absolutely harrowing. Um, but I think that's what the point of this film club is really, isn't it? Is that kind of showing that there's something beyond, you know, there are stories beyond Disney, there are stories beyond the kind of mainstream uh, Hollywood animation uh, uh, stories. Yeah. And yeah, I think it kind of, kind of glad to, glad to be kind of putting those out there. And that sort of initial impressions or appearances can be deceiving. Um because, you know, I mean, Raymond Briggs didn't shy away from, you know, dark material when he wanted to, but there is a particular, uh, you know, tone, especially from this point in the film on, like, they're just so, you know, wearied by everything, and it's just physical deterioration until the end at this point. Um, mm. But it does start off in a relatively sort of cutesy note, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, look at these these two. They're they're, they're sweet old couple. They're setting their ways, kind of things. They're kind of blundering their way through uh, fallout shelter preparation, and um, the result. And then not turning the camera away when they have the consequences, you know, riddled through themselves, and each day is worse than the next. You know, there's just been a big change now, hasn't there? The 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 character designs have clearly changed and they're, they're, want, they're wobbling around as they move and their faces are a little bit more sunken. And it's, it's, getting, it's getting to them. And it's... Um, I think this is where the sort of heartstrings start to get pulled. You know, we've, we've had our laughs, we've had our kind of... We, we, we've shared in our kind of moments of kind of horror and things like that and... Um, and now we're just kind of waiting for the inevitable, and I think that's, you know, it makes for a very powerful film. Well, I think the moment that just sort of went when he kind of realises, oh, we are out of anything to drink, yeah. and he just, he it, it all just kind of goes out the window for like three seconds, and then he yeah. kind of like forces himself back into, he's like, no, 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 let's carry on, keep calm, you know, that sort of um, stiff upper lip attitude but for the mm. briefest of moments like he can't keep it in and he's just like you know that moment of sheer panic yeah and she's just it, it's it's the horrors now isn't it it's the sign of seeing the rat in the toilet and all the sort of yeah the the, the worst bits the uh the voice cast of this film as well, uh, um, which we, we've not really heard being, with, with the, the sound on low. Um, was it Sir John Mills and, and Dame Peggy Ashcroft? Uh, apparently they, you know, old professionals. Um, uh, apparently they delivered the entire script in a single take uh, for on, on one of the days of recording, which caused the entire crew to burst into applause like they'd like taken a day at the theatre or something. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's getting sad. There was also apparently a radio adaptation with um, Peter Salis, which is a little weird when you consider the voice of Wallace going through what these guys are going through now. 
<laughs> Imagine uh, type of uh, Wallace and Gromit in a nuclear uh, nuclear attack. It's not really well. If you took yeah. away that association, I could see why he would be perfect for it. Because hmm. he does have, in a very similar way to um, this actor, he does have this very kind of charmingly mundane, you know, uh, British guy <laughs> quality to him, you know, yeah. um, homebody type. Um, and a lot of the dialogue, actually, it's the mundanity, I guess, of the dialogue that just kind of... Um, Oh, what's in the papers kind of thing. And, um, being, you know, remarking on things that are completely unremarkable. And that's almost a bit of a shared trait with like Wallace's dialogue, um, in those films to, you know, the sort of lighter dialogue in this, you know, the banality of polite British conversation, Let's have the aimlessness of, of it. Yeah. yeah. Never mind, carry on, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sad one. Hmm. I mean, we could have been watching Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to have another uh, Roll Dahl final, but. Um, Thanks to I, I don't know. Thanks to the people who voted for putting us through this. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something a little bit spooky on uh, via our twig uh, via our website. Christ, I'm getting tired. Um, there's this festival coming up uh, this month in Bath, the Jane Austen Film Festival, mm. and we put up a press release about it. And it's going to be taking place. It's going to be taking place physically. Um, I assume with all the measures in place at the Little Theatre, um, which is where we got married three years ago. Uh, me and Laura, not you and me, Steve. No, we got married years before that. Yeah, it was it was a it was a you know beautiful beautiful evening pagan ritual, <laughs> uh, and it's going to be on our anniversary, which I thought was a little bit spooky. One of the weird kind of cameos in. Um, uh, fantastic Mr. Fox is, I guess, Wes Anderson was sort of taken with Bath and had constructed various actual buildings that exist in Bath, and one of them is that theatre. So there's a point in the film where you see, you know, the Fantastic Mr. Fox puppets running past the theatre where we got married. Nice. Anyway, for more information on the Jane Austen Film Festival, visit squiggly.co.uk. Uh, they are showing some animation, which would be why we have that up there. Uh, tremendous. Just trying to distract from the horrible old people dying sequence. <laughs> what are some other nice bits in Fantastic Mr. Fox? The film club that could have been... <laughs> We'd have been able to have done all the all the Roald Dahl films without, without them ever being properly voted for as well, which would have been a weird thing. I feel like we're we're pretty much at the at the end. I guess the, the very last scene is when they get into the bags, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 kind of um, steadily kind of 
uh, deteriorating and um, but kind of making excuses for everything and the effects of uh, of radiation poisoning, drinking all that water and going out into the garden are kind of taking hold, which is um, which is a shame. He's trying to convince her that uh, the lesions of varicose veins or various veins as the subtitle misinterpreted I'm pretty sure he's saying varicose veins and she's like no they're not <laughs> she's not even having it at this point I know mm. what veins look like yeah too much tinned food it's the rationalization to the very end yeah yeah <laughs> Pilcher yeah, never a, did agree with me. <laughs> it is such a talky film, like it would work perfectly as a radio play. Yeah. Um, obviously, the visual elements, you know, it adds a great deal. Um, but pretty much every scene in the film is kind of, it's almost sort of like audio description for the visually impaired. Like every sort of moment, every scenario is being kind of talked through, like vocalized. Which again is something that people tend to do um, when they live alone or live together. That sort of, you know, fairly adieu of, you know, commenting on every little thing um, mm. as it's happening. That's why I, I struggle to um, be a backseat driver with uh, my parents because they just, wherever they drive, they just comment on everything that they drive past. It's like, oh, it's sign. Is that sign. <laughs> Cows in that field. <laughs> what a wonderment. Cows There'll be a field. road up ahead. <laughs> well, things are looking bleak. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that I knew that one film would get us. <laughs> one, one film would would get the film club to kind of draw to a halt and just go, Christ. <laughs> well, the other Raymond Briggs one kind of did that as well. He's a, he's yeah, a yeah. mischief maker. He is. He is, uh, and, uh, and he, he does it to a fine art as well. This is an odd visual. What was the logic of the? Bit of the brown bags. Uh, uh, nothing protects I'm, against nuclear fallout better than a good British brown bag. Was that it? Uh, is it? Did the, the brown bags in the pamphlet? The actual pamphlet. I'm looking now. I'm having a little scroll through the pamphlet to find. I mean, there's a bit in the pamphlet about knocking out the bottom of a chair to make a toilet, uh, which kind of just reminds me of Casino Royale. Uh, that scenic scene around when they knock out the bottom of the chair um, every man crosses his legs um, yeah I can't really see anything about they basically uh, just made their own body bags effectively it's just it's doing the job of the yeah it, it's it's kind of just helping out with um, uh, for with the, the people that are never coming for the people that are never coming, yeah. For when the, um, yeah, I was going to 
Yeah, I was going to be a bit bleak there, but I think oh, it's, it's bleak enough without me adding imagery to it. But yeah, uh, no, there's nothing in here about getting in a bag. Um, <laughs> when all is lost, get in a bag. Yeah. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Build further protection of bags and boxes. Uh I'm the first person since 1989 to read this pamphlet. This is amazing. <laughs> Run it through a podcast. Um, yeah, sleeping bags, basically. Yeah. Yeah, sad stuff. Here we are at the end. This is when he can't even remember how to pray anymore. Hmm. What's he? What's he doing instead? Is it the in charge of the light brigade? I think. Ah. Uh, yeah. There's a uh, there's a fantastic soundtrack to this film as well, for which kind of goes complete the complete opposite of what you'd expect from a film about a kind of uh, an elder, uh, elderly middle aged couple. You've got Bowie, you've got Pink Floyd and, you know, Genesis, things like that in the soundtrack as well. So it's, you know, at the time, we obviously would have been a bit more kind of, um, yeah, savoured, perhaps. I'm assuming it's less a kind of tonal uh, marriage than the sort of, you know, inclinations of the bands and the, the music itself. Presumably being kind of thematic about the subject matter in the film. Yeah, I, I think they wanted uh, Bowie to do the whole thing. They wanted him to do the whole soundtrack, and then he said, I can only do one song. Um, and then obviously they got um, Pink Floyd uh, and um, others to sort of get involved. But yeah. And there we have it, When the Wind Blows. And, uh, yes. Well... Thanks for uh, bumming us out, everyone. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, everyone. Uh, no, that's a great film. It is. Um, yeah, I think that's one we're going to be given a proper watch uh, quite soon. So just Absolutely. So nice that this is a good sort of functional reminder. Um, this series. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, if it does any, anything, it does that. That's that's what we. Uh, it's what we aim to do. But yeah, what's um, what's going on in the world of Squiggly Podcasts? Because this is two podcasts in a week now, isn't it? Uh, oh yeah, well we put um, the visible and visuals up um, mm. a couple of days ago. Um, so that's happening, which is good. Uh, it's been in on the boil for a good long while. And uh, uh, if people don't know what uh, I'm talking about, go to the podcast section of the site or um, it'll be on the front page of the site at the moment, actually. It's a great new initiative by my friend Tanya, who wrote an article for us about a year ago now on uh, that uh, inclusivity report that I think you and I had talked about prior to that on a podcast and how the sort of survey results seemed a little bit skew-whiff or mm. perhaps um, at odds with uh, what we kind of see and reconciling that, I suppose. Anyway, she... Um, Sure, had a very good piece on that that went down really well, and I think it's prompted a lot of events and discussion 
some of which haven't actually been able to happen, of course, because of COVID. So it all sort of shifted to an online space. And that's kind of grown into what will be uh, a series of panel discussions that uh, I'm very happy to say we'll be able to put out via our podcast feed, which is great. Um, I've got some other podcasty bits and bobs on the... Uh, uh, what's the phrase? <laughs> on the boil. On the boil. Boiling away. Um, like... Like a pot of acid rain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Boil all that acid right out of it. <laughs> Make a nice cup of char. Um, yeah, so that's, uh... That's that. Well, this has been a good, uh, this has been a good series. Um, I think we'll be... I don't think this will be the last we'll hear of the Squiggly Film Club by no. a long shot because there's a lot of films to get to and there's a lot of films that uh, haven't been voted on yet that I'm quite keen on um, giving a watch through. Maybe we'll just do a version where we just pick our own films. It'd be good to I mean, get some more guests films, on. But, you yeah. Know, yeah. yeah, our own films. <laughs> uh, yeah, get some guests on and, uh, and show off some good work, you know, uh, as well because I think that's... Uh, yeah, that's been the good thing about this is showing off that work that doesn't quite get the uh, the light of day. So if you can kind of promote uh, the films at least, that's uh, that's always a good thing. So if people want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of stuff, what do they have to do? How what do they have to do and type into their magical computer machines? Well, they're going to have to to find us on the social media. You're going to have to join some of these newfangled uh, outlets like Twitter and Facebook. I don't think we're on parlor just yet. We can just Google Squiggly. Just Google Squiggly. Well, you no, know, because they'll spell it right. <laughs> they won't find us. <laughs> it's Skywiggly. Uh, um, yeah, it's at, uh, at Squiggly on Twitter, at Squiggly Animation on Instagram, Squiggly Magazine on Facebook, and the website is squiggly.co.uk. We're brilliant on all of them. Trust us. See ya. Well, See you later.